We are, uh, we are walking through the uh, book of John, and we have been since really uh, Advent season last year, and we will till you know, we kick off Advent this year. And we've been talking about the, the life of Jesus. Uh, we've been talking about the life that he calls us to as his followers, as his, uh, as his students. And the word there in the Greek is methetes, and it has this word picture that uh, as a student of Jesus, you, we would follow so closely that we're literally covered with the dust of his sandals. And so we've been talking about this all year, and uh, we're really excited about our, our baptism uh, Sunday that we have on September 18th. We've had several people say, hey, I want to be baptized. And I know a lot of times, uh, sometimes we think, well, baptism is something that kids do or teenagers do. Um, you know, it's kind of a right. It's so much more than that. It is, a, uh, it is a declaration of faith that, yes, our faith in Jesus is personal, but it was never meant to be private. And baptism is the first thing that we can do to go public with our faith. And so maybe as we've gone through this series, maybe you've kind of realized, hey, I have a different faith in Jesus. My life is different. I'm trekking differently with Jesus than I was. And maybe I've never been baptized or maybe when I was baptized, I was baptized as a kid and it really wasn't my choice. Or I was baptized as a, as a young teenager. I didn't really know what it meant. We want to encourage you as an adult. Nothing would encourage our hearts more than to see adults say, I want to go public with my faith in Jesus as I align my life up with his. And so if that's you, if you want to be baptized on September 18th, we're going to do it both services. Uh, you don't have to be baptized both times. Okay, one, once is good enough. Um, but um, that, uh, that is September 18th. And you'll just let Thomas know um, about that, uh, that you're interested in that. We have a baptism class on September 11th at 930 um, to kind of answer some questions you might have to see if, hey, is this really something that I need to do or want to do? Uh, also, we help you um, write your story because on that Sunday morning, you don't have to say anything. You don't have to read your story. Somebody's going to read it for you that morning. And, uh, and just your story of how, why you're making this decision to go public with your faith in Jesus Christ. So we really want to encourage you to do that and encourage you to be here and celebrate with those brothers and sisters of ours who are making that decision. If you have some questions about that, you can see Thomas or myself or Tanner or Caleb or H. Uh, we'd love to sit down with you. About that. So um, I think it's probably pretty safe to say that all of us at some point in our lives uh, have, have felt rejected, right? I mean, at, at some point, um, you know, we, we've all felt uh, betrayed to some extent. There, there, probably at some point in our lives, we felt uh, like, a, like a failure. Uh, at some point in our lives, we've felt powerless. We felt less than. We felt, you know, defeated or falsely accused or overwhelmed or outgunned or outmanned or outworked or hurt or angry or confused or just plain alone. And if you've ever felt that way, oh, the good news is today is for you. Today is for you because if there's one thing that all of us uh, have in common is that we are all in desperate need of an advocate. Okay, And the good news today is that we don't have just one advocate, but that we have two advocates, and neither one of them are is your mama. Okay, Moms are great to have as an advocate, um, but we have even two better advocates than that. And, and the benefit 
of having two advocates is found in verse 27 of chapter 14. And let me just read it. We'll come back to it a couple of times. Uh, But Jesus says to his disciples, peace, peace. That's the product of having two advocates. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives, but do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. So that's the byproduct. And we have an advocate that will bring tremendous peace in our lives. And really at the end of the day, that's really what we all want. That we all want to have peace. Peace on the good days, peace on the hard days, peace on the, uh, in the celebrations of life and peace in the disappointment in life. And so this morning we get to ask three questions of the text. And let me just give them to you up front and then we'll unpack them as we go along. But three, three questions. Number one is uh, what is an advocate? So we're going to spend the first part of our time together defining what is an advocate and then second, who is, who is our first advocate? And the third question is, who is, our, uh, who is the second advocate? So what is an advocate? Um, who is the first advocate? And who is the second advocate? So if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn to John chapter 14. If you didn't bring your Bibles, we'll put it up on the screen for you. You can pull it up on your, your phone this morning. Um, John 14, we're still at the Last Supper, Okay. Um, and uh, Jesus, we've been talking about the Last Supper for a few weeks now, and uh, we've seen Jesus uh, remove his outer garments and take up the role of the lowest of the low servants and wash the disciples' feet. He has one final teaching time with his disciples, and he says, a new uh, commandment I give you, I want you to love others the way I've loved you, not the way you want to love, not the way they deserve to be loved, but the way that I've loved you. Uh, he's talked about prayer um, and the power power of prayer and the purpose of prayer and the conditions of prayer. We talked about that last week. And now Jesus is going to talk to his uh, disciples and he's going to talk to us about an advocate. And so this morning um, we're going to have bad news. We're going to have good news and we're going to have the best news is kind of where we're going to go. So who, uh, what is an advocate? John chapter 14 verses 15 through 17. We kind of get a glimpse of what an advocate is. Jesus says to his disciples, he says, if you love me, keep my commands and I will ask the father and he will give you another advocate, underline that word, to help you and be with you forever. And the spirit, the spirit of truth, the, the, the spirit of truth, the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and he will be in you. So what is an advocate? Well, different translations use um, different words for the Holy Spirit. Maybe your translation says that the Holy Spirit is the great counselor or the great comforter or the great encourager. But the Greek word here that John uses is paraclete. Okay. It's paraclete. And, and para is the first part of the word. And, and it means beside. And kaleo Uh, means to call or to speak a message or to tell the truth, okay? So so a paraclete is not someone who comes behind us and says, hey, let's get going, okay? Uh, And a paraclete is not someone who goes in in front of us and, and says, you know, let's go. But a paraclete is someone who comes along beside of us comes along beside of us. An advocate is someone who comes alongside of us and is for us and is 
beside us and fearlessly speaks the truth to someone or something that has what we need. That an advocate is a substitute. An advocate is a representative. An advocate is a helper. And all of these characteristics are assumed when John pins this word paraclete. That an advocate is someone who takes a powerless person and all of us, to some degree, have been powerless in our, in our lives. But an advocate is someone who takes a powerless person and deals with the powers that be on their behalf. That's an advocate. So when we ask, what is an advocate? An advocate is all those many layers. It's a helper. It's a friend. It's a representative. It's a substitute. It's somebody who comes alongside of us and speaks truth to us and, and takes on um, it takes on the powers that be in our place and on our behalf. That's what an advocate is. So who is the first advocate? Well, let's go back to verse 15. Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commands and I will ask the Father and he will give you an, uh, another advocate to help you and be with you Forever. So the implication here is that Jesus is saying that he is our first advocate. That Jesus is our first advocate. And what he's saying is, is I'm going to be with the Father. And when I get to the Father, I'm going to ask him to send you another advocate so that you won't be alone. And that he's going to send you another advocate. And, he's, and his name's the Holy Spirit. But, but, but I'm the first advocate. See, John, he, not only does he write the gospel of John, but he also writes a letter in three parts to the church, to the early church, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And in 1st John chapter 2, he writes this. He says, my dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Jesus is our advocate. Now, when we put our faith in Jesus as our personal savior, he becomes our advocate and there's three assumptions. And these three assumptions go from bad news to good news to the best news, okay? And so assumption number one, when we, when we put Jesus, when we make Jesus our savior and he becomes our advocate, we're working off three assumptions and here's the first assumption. The first assumption is that all of us stand accused before the judgment seat of God. Every single person on the face of the planet stand accused before the judgment seat of God. That you and I, we are in a position, every single person on the planet is in a position of being accused as we stand before the holy, perfect standard of God. And deep down, every single one of us, we know that that's true. We know it's true. Otherwise, why do we feel the need to be perfect? Why, what, you know, if we, if we know that it's true, otherwise, why is it that we constantly feel freshly accused in our daily lives? Our conscience knows that we don't hold up to the judgment of God. Our, our conscience, we somehow, someway know that we stand accused in front of holy God. Our conscience knows that there is a standard of justice and every single one of us has violated that. Because we have, we have not lived up to God's perfect, holy standard. And God the judge, he is holy, 
And he is righteous, and he is just, and he is fair, and he is honest. And all the excuses that we have to justify our behavior, all the excuses that you and I have to to justify ourselves, we will find them falling to the ground inadequate and lacking as we stand before holy God. Now, that's bad news. For anyone who has not put their faith in Jesus. And I know we all come to church to be encouraged. And we're going to get to the encouragement part. I promise. That's why, that's why I don't end here. Okay. Uh, we'll start with the bad news first. Okay. We all stand in judgment before holy righteous God. But now for some good news. And it's the second assumption. And the second assumption is that we have, when, if we have received Jesus as Savior, he stands representing us before the judgment of God. That if we have put our faith in Jesus, he stands with us before the, the, the judgment of God. That Jesus is our advocate. In other words, he's our defense attorney. Okay, and think about that. Think about the relationship. What is the relationship between an accused and their defense attorney? It's everything. Because as an accused person, that's all we have. We put our hope in our defense attorney, right? And if our defense attorney is savvy in court, then we're savvy in court. If our defense attorney is, is polished in court, then we're polished in court. If our defense attorney fails in court, guess what? We fail in court. If our defense attorney is successful in court, then we're successful in court. That's the dynamic between an accused client and the defense attorney. And our Jesus, our attorney, is our advocate. Okay, And our failure, okay, our failure to live up to God's standard is imputed to Jesus. We'll talk about what that word means, it's a big religious word. Um, our, our failure of living up to God's standard is imputed to Jesus and his success living up to God's standard is imputed to us. In other words, that imputed, that word impute means it's transferred. It's we get credit for. And, and when we put our faith in Jesus, our disobedience and the curse that goes with that disobedience is imputed. It's transferred. Jesus gets credit for our disobedience. But when we put our faith in Jesus, his righteousness, his obedience, the blessing that goes with that is imputed. It, we get credit for it and it cannot be taken away. When we put our faith in Jesus, that cannot be taken away. It can't be taken away when we mess up. It can't be taken away when we sin. It can't be taken away when we rebel. It can't be taken away when, we, when we're disobedient. It isn't imputed. It is permanently ours. It's permanently credited to our account. That's what happens when we put our faith in Jesus. And through faith in Jesus, his righteousness is accredited to us. His obedience, his perfection is accredited to us. In other words, we get credit for everything that Jesus has done. We get credit for everything he did with his life, his death, and his resurrection. And Jesus stands as our advocate to represent us before the Father. So we've gone from bad news to good news. And then here's the best news. It's the third assumption. And it's this. 
is that we have to assume when we put our faith in Jesus and he becomes as our savior and he becomes our advocate, we assume that Jesus has an infallible case. That Jesus has an infallible case, that Jesus is our advocate. He's not going before God to strike a plea deal. He's not going before God to try to plea down and get a a lesser sentence, a lesser punishment. Jesus goes before God and he says, Father, here are my brothers and sisters who I died for. Who I died for. Have they lied? Yes. Have they been selfish? Yes. Have they not loved others the way I've loved them? Have they not served others the way I've served them? Yes. Have they been disobedient to you? Yes. But Father, your law is good and it's fair and it's just. And your law says the only way to deal with their sin debt is through blood and sacrifice and death. And right here, the holes in my wrist, in my hands, my broken body and my spilled blood is payment in full for, for their debt. And, and, and you, because your law is just and your law is fair, you would not take two payments for one debt. That would be unjust. And so, Father, therefore, I ask. No, no, strike that from the record. Therefore, I demand full acquittal for my brothers and sisters. Full acquittal. Because I paid their debt in full. That I have lived the life they can't live, and I died the debt that they deserve. And so, Father, I don't ask you for mercy. I ask you for justice. And the entire courtroom just erupts with applause. Right? I mean, that's a very good Protestant response to that. Okay? It will pale in comparison to heaven. Can you imagine the, when, when, that when we're new to heaven and we're living in the place that he's prepared for us and we're doing a job that, that, that we were created to do and, and, and all of a sudden there's this eruption, you know, like, like the, you know, our team finally, you know, pulled it out at the end of the game, you know, and, and there's this eruption and we're like, what, 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 what was that? Oh, that's Jesus, our advocate, you know, getting our, uh, another brother or sister acquitted. And it's just this roar in the courtroom. And, and we don't stand there and, and, and we're not given an acquittal based on our church performance or our good behavior, our modified behavior, our good deeds. We, we stand there accused, guilty of not living up to the standard. But because of our faith in Jesus and what he's done for us, we are forgiven and we are acquitted for everything that we've ever done. That's his infallible case and the best news of all. So Jesus is our first advocate. So who's our second advocate? Well, let's read. I just want to kind of read these verses. And so stay with me for a minute. Jesus says, if you love me, you keep my commands. 
And I will ask you, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the, tr- the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because he neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and he will be with you. I will not leave you as orphans. There's a, there's a, there's a promise. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. And on that day, you will realize that I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. In other words, we're all connected. And whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. And the one who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I, too, will love them and show myself to them. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, but Lord, why, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. And anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. And these words you hear are not my own, but they belong to my father who sent me. And all this I have spoken while still with you. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. And we end with the promise. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. Do not, I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And do not. Be afraid. In other words, Jesus says the Holy Spirit is going to come and he is going to remind you of everything I taught you. The Holy Spirit is going to come and he's going to show you that I am in the Father and you are in me and I am in you. And therefore, we are together. You know, and if we, if when this really hits our hearts and our minds and our lives, it gives us a moment to kind of step back away from the rejection and betrayal of the world. Because, because you know, if we really were to live this, this, this verse out, why, why, do we, why do we get so upset? Why do we get disheartened when something doesn't work out? It's because we've forgotten this. We've forgotten that Jesus has given the Holy Spirit and our identity is found in what Jesus has did for us, has done for us, not what we can do for him. When our self-esteem is shattered because of something or someone didn't work out, that means all of our self-esteem was riding on that one event or that one person, which means we were trying just to be our own advocate. We were trying to build our own case. We were trying to justify ourselves. See, the job of the Holy Spirit is to show us Jesus. The job of the Holy Spirit is to, is to highlight Jesus in our lives. J.I. Packer, who is, uh, who is a, a theologian in the 20th century, writes, the Holy Spirit is like a floodlight of Christ. The Holy Spirit is like a floodlight on Christ. That, uh, that the floodlight, it, it brings object into the light. It brings the detail of the object. It highlights the beauty of an object. And that's the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives when we put our faith in Jesus, that we have the Holy Spirit inside us and he encourages us and he teaches us and he confronts us and he points us to Jesus. And the Holy Spirit is our advocate on the inside and he's talking to us about our advocate in heaven. And the Holy Spirit is constantly pointing us 
to Jesus and he reminds us of who he is and what he's done for us. And when we make Jesus our savior, he becomes our advocate. We become alive in Christ. We go from being spiritually dead to being spiritually alive. We become forgiven and absolved and acquitted of all of our sins, that our debt has been paid in full, that we have a new standing with our heavenly father, that we have the Holy Spirit in us, giving us counsel and comfort and encouragement and teaching and even convicting us. And when we on a daily basis say, Holy Spirit, would you show me who Jesus is and what he's done for me? Remind me that my identity, that my approval, that my acceptance, that, that, that my significance is found in who Jesus is and what he's done for me. Would you do that for me? His answer is a resounding yes. Because that's his job. And that's what he's doing in us. Man, the band's gonna come and we're just gonna respond to, to, to this good news of what Jesus has done on, on our behalf. That it's not up to us. It's not what we can do for God, but it's about what God has already done for us through Jesus Christ, our advocate, our attorney, the one who, who paid the price for us in full so that we can have a relationship with our heavenly Father.